Tell me your story. Tell me your story. How did it all start? Do you remember? Oh, I know what happened. How did it stop? You're now tuned into the Small Business Origins Podcast. I love an origin story. Each week, we dive into the real stories of entrepreneurs and businesses from across the nation. Who is he and what's his origin story? Who started with just an idea and are now making waves. I told you this was a good idea. This is Small Business Origins. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Small Business Origins. I am your host, as always, John Kelly, aka John the Marketer on Instagram and TikTok. And you're tuned in to our nationwide search for entrepreneurs that have a story to tell. Joining us virtually in the studio is an entrepreneur that wants to do just that. From Long Beach, New York, we've got Dan Hink. He's with the Abyss Fine Art and Tattoo Studio and Dead Guy LLC. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for me. Man, it is always our pleasure to have another entrepreneur on the show that we get to learn about. And before we hop into kind of a crazy story that I've been reading up on you about, we have to start out with our icebreaker question. We always start out with an icebreaker question. And today's is, what is one of your irrational fears? Oh, that's a good question. Um, probably claustrophobia. And uh, actually, I have a good story behind that. If you want to hear it, it's, it's pretty short. Heck yeah. It's um I had brain cancer, so and I had no money when I had brain cancer, so I went to Bellevue Hospital. So Bellevue has these giant old school MRI machines, and with brain cancer, they have to like they strap you down to a stretcher, like you can't even move your arms, and they show you way into the middle of it. So like you know you're you're on the stretcher, you know the thing is like this close to your face, and you're you know buried like way into it. So you couldn't even move if you wanted to. And then you have to sit there absolutely still while this magnet whips around your head. You know, it makes this crazy, like, whistling noise. And the minute you move, they're like, we have to start over again. So, and you have to do that for an hour at a time. So before that happened, I was not claustrophobic. Like, as a little kid, you know, we climb on our skateboards and we'd, like, go down sewer pipes and stuff like that. I could care less. After that, I'm claustrophobic. Like, I saw the movie The Descent. And if you saw the movie The Sand at one point, they go cave diving. And I was like, I almost freaked out. <laughs> yeah, those cave diving videos I've seen on TikTok get me all the time. I am definitely claustrophobic myself. The MRI machine didn't bother me too much, but it definitely made me uncomfortable when I had to go in that. Um, I'm not crazy about it for sure, but for me, it's more when I feel stuck. When I well, feel try, stuck, it just triggers something brain in my brain. Cancer, we have to do it every single week for an hour. Yeah, that would probably drive me nuts just a little bit, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, mine, man, I'll tell you, uh, June bugs. I don't know why. They can't hurt you. They can't sting you, bite you, anything like that. But June bugs absolutely drive me insane. And every single time, grown-ass man, you know, 250 pounds plus, and if I have a June bug flying at me, I'm running every single time. And it's been like that since I was a kid. I don't know why I'm so scared of them, but I am. Uh, my family definitely makes fun of me every second that they get a chance to. Um, they absolutely love to do it. And I don't even care. I'm I'm that terrified of them. I don't know why. I, it's just, I don't know. That's man, what the family is for. Them. Family and friends, they're there to bust your balls. 
That's right. All right. Well, man, we're here to talk about you. And I know you've got one hell of a loaded personal story uh, that you've already alluded to with the brain cancer stuff and, and everything else. So let's just hop into your personal story. What is your origin story? Uh, well, my dad's military. So like I grew up as like an army brat and like isolated bases everywhere. And we didn't make very much money. My mom was a stay-at-home mom with a couple kids. My dad worked military. But, you know, he spent a lot of his money on guns because he's a big gun fanatic. He has over a thousand guns, you know. Wow. So, so you know, it, it was like, you know, we did what we could on the cheap. So, like, I went to the library a lot. I, I'd check out whole stacks of books and bring them home. You know, I did a lot of, like, building tree forts and, like, you know, running my BMX bike around town and, like, you know, like upstate Buffalo, New York or, like, uh, you know, northern Florida, you know, wherever we were stationed, cause three years at a time, we kept moving. But uh, I developed a big love of, like, sci-fi and fantasy and horror and stuff. Like, I kind of, like, lived in my own imaginary world. And uh, I kind of, I like to pretend like I still do. But yeah. uh, come, come, like, uh, high school, like, I got heavily into punk rock. Like, I had the blue mohawk. Like, I looked like a British punk rocker. I had the leather jacket with spikes on it and everything. And uh, my parents are very conservative and very Christian. That did not fly with them. So I turned 18. They kicked me out of the house. I was homeless. Like, I lived for eight months in the woods, rocking a pillow, walking around all night. Some nights I didn't freeze to death. Um, mm. I take showers in McDonald's restrooms. Like, you know, the, the quick shower, you know. Um, I remember uh, somebody gave me two dollars and I bought a bag of rice and I lived off that for two weeks. You know, and I stole salt and pepper from McDonald's and I'd season it and cook it like a little foam cup. And I mean, you, you got to do what you got to do, you know. And then like I, I eventually got a job at Chuck E. Cheese, which sucks. I do not recommend Chuck E. Cheese, but you know, I worked my way up. Um, I wanted to go to art school, so I put myself through community college for art. My art teacher said, if you want to an art, you got to move to New York City. So, you know, and at the time, I was in Virginia, which is not a hotbed of artistic activity. So I moved to New York City. And uh, the, it's been, you know, very rocky road ever since. But, like, I feel like I've suddenly gone somewhere. Like, now I write books and I do lots of illustrations for you know, magazines to bands. You know, I own a tattoo studio. So it seems to be kind of working out. Yeah. Absolutely. So what was it that kind of was your pivotal moment where you were able to kind of shift and pull yourself out of homelessness and all this stuff into becoming that entrepreneur? Well, I think what it was is like when, when you're a kid, you know, you kind of like maybe not everybody, but, you know, a lot of kids have this kind of like I'm indestructible attitude. You know, so they're like, you know, like I'll do what I want. Everybody's just a hater. You know, so, like, I was drinking, I was, like, you know, a decent amount, I was doing a decent amount of drugs, I was, like, going to shows, and, like, I really didn't, I wasn't looking at the future at all, and at some point, I was like, hey, you know, right now I'm 18, but I don't want to be, like, 30, and I'm a loser, so I gotta do something, so then I started trying to get a job, and I remember the, the people with, like, the lowest standards for employment, we're Chuck E. Cheese. So I got a job there. Like, I actually, I got a better job within two weeks. And I quit Chuck E. Cheese by calling them from their job and saying, hey, I quit. <laughs> but, you know, that was my stepping stone. It, it was like basically a personal decision of, you know, 
I got to do something because nobody's going to do. Nobody cares if it's not if it's not you. Nobody cares. They might say, "Hey, well, it kind of sucks," but you know, if you want something to happen, you got to do it yourself. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the message that most entrepreneurs have: is no one's going to care about you the way that you care about you. Uh, right. And not only that, but what you can do for your employees and the people around you and your clients and the way you can elevate that experience. I mean, if somebody has extremely low employment standards, then you can almost guarantee that they have a very low customer service value as well. Right. You know, so it's what you can do for those that both utilize your business and work for your business that kind of sets you apart, I think. Now, well, I know, it gets you more money, it gets you a better job, it gets you all that stuff, yeah. I agree. Yeah, it does. I mean, and it doesn't necessarily mean less work either. You know, we know entrepreneurs are some of the hardest working people out there that have to spend, um, you know, the earliest mornings and latest nights building what they have. But ultimately, it's that payoff at the end that you get, whatever it is that you're after, whether it's money or uh, opportunity or, uh, you know, sometimes it can be fame and sometimes it can just be delivering a really good product and being really good at it. Right. Um, I, I know that you've been kind of hit, it seems like, just time after time after time with hardships, man. Um, so if you don't mind just going into some of those hardships you faced and put them on the timeline for us. of Because, you know, of course, I, I see some dates and stuff that you submitted to me of some of these pretty harsh things you went through. But tell me when you first started building yourself up and where you were in the timeline of these hits, how you recovered, and then ultimately got to the point you're at today. I'll try and make it pretty brief, like a, like a spotlight. But um, so I was uh, I was drawing a lot and I was submitting to everybody. And at the time, I was a dishwasher. But uh, like I said, I, I was trying to go somewhere else, but that paid the rent. And I lived with my girlfriend in D.C. And I remember I got in a fight with the crackhead. He got in the place. He's, you know, severed the tendon on my hand. Um so we ended up moving to Northern Virginia, like right next to D.C. because she worked in D.C. And I kept submitting to everyone. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm getting a lot of like, hey, we like your stuff, but not hiring. So I was like, so what I need to do is, you know, I need to take this seriously. What would I do? I'm like, I'll go to art school. I was like, well, I can't afford art school, but here at a community college, I'll go to the community. So I went to the community college. And anything you do, you just got to work your ass off. So I worked my ass off, and the teacher seemed to really appreciate it, really nice guy. And um, he said, if you want an art career, you got to move to New York. So I moved to New York. And um, by that point, when I finally moved, I had a restaurant job. I was like, oh, so I'll get a restaurant job in New York. Easier said than done, by the way. You moved to a big city. They're like, oh, if you don't have a job here, you don't know the market. So – but eventually, I worked there, but I kept drawing. I kept submitting stuff. I did interview with DC Comics. I interviewed with Penguin Books. You know, um, the comics, by the way, pay almost nothing, and they demand a ton of work. Just so you know, um, and Penguin Books, they pay a lot of money, but the, the, the jobs that you get are very sparse, so it's hard to pay your rent off then. Um, but so I, I'm, like, trying to figure it out. I started doing album covers. I started doing all this stuff, and um, – then I started tattooing, and initially I started tattooing as a way to make money doing artwork while I got a, quote, real job. Although then I liked tattooing so much that I stuck with it. Tattooing changed a lot. Um, but then while I was tattooing, I was about a year into tattooing, and they came down with brain cancer. 
but I was like, I'm on such a roll now. Like I, I was painting album covers. I was like, I'd been tattooing, you know, I was like, I'm not going to let this stop me. So I had brain cancer and I had chemotherapy and I had radiation treatments and a lot of that stuff is pretty hardcore. It's pretty devastating. But like I was just telling you, like, if you don't make it, nobody cares. I was like, I'm not going to be that guy that like just gets flushed on the toilet. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to keep going. Like I was still going to the gym three times a week, even on chemotherapy, you know, and like uh, I was living in Williamsburg. So I'd bike up the Williamsburg bridge, make it run halfway over, stop, throw up over the, the railing of the bridge and then bike to the gym. But I was like, I had this mentality of if you give up, that's it. I'm not giving up. I'm not going to let this beat me. So and I, I had that, I had that for a while. Um, well, I was trying to recover from giving, I mean, it, it's a long story and it's kind of a convoluted story. So I'm, I'm trying to try to skip through it as fast as possible, but, um, man, we're uh, here to hear about it, but you don't have to skip through <laughs> anything for me. This is, this is insane. The amount of hardships that people go through and can overcome, man, it, it gives you perspective. I love it. Right. Well, in, in the old school days, like a lot of people that are like people go, oh, they're rich now. It's like they had like five jobs before they finally made it, you know. But anyway, so I, I was a tattoo artist, been a tattoo artist for two years, you know, and I was finally starting to get some recognition off of that. And there was another guy at my shop. He's like, hey, I want to open a new shop. I was like, OK. He's like, well, I want to open it with you. I was like. Well, I've only been tattooing for a couple of years. I don't think uh, you know, I've been in the business long enough. He's like, dude, I'll do everything. Just you know, you'll be kind of my like you know partner in this whatever. So I did. I was saving up money. I was like you know preparing everything. Then I came down with brain cancer. Then we made a, a joint banking account so we could spend the money getting supplies for the shop. Basically, he's a bad guy. He blew all my stuff. He got a bad location. Like he screwed me over hardcore. And the girl I was dating was a. Uh, it's really weird because when you have a serious mythical ailment, you, I mean, it's a cliche, but you find out who your true friends are. Yeah. Because you know there are people that I thought were great friends of mine did everything with me, didn't even visit me in the hospital. You know, and, and afterwards, like you know, they talked to me on the phone, but it'd be like, oh yeah, man, I gotta do this. So they basically blow you off, but. There was a girl I was going out with, and every single day she was visiting me. So we, you know, I was like, "This is a good person," so we got married. And um, so she was going to move down there, you know, to the shop with me. I, I was still on chemotherapy. Uh, she moved down there; it was a mess. We came, we came back up to New York, you know, and then after like about six years, seven years, like everything kind of like cleared out. Like I was now off chemotherapy. Um, but the problem is chemotherapy, like they tell you, is poison. Hopefully it kills the cancer or not you. So it ruins your body. So yeah. I thought the minute I got off of it, I'd be fine. No, you're not. Like you get off of it, you're super weak. I tried to take a protein shake, I immediately threw it up, you know. So like I, I took like a little bit of an extended period, about you know seven years, and then she done hit and run. And then you know there there's mm. that was that was going on, and like it's weird because in a way that's right where my tattoo career started taking off. Like I was in all of a sudden in all the magazines, everybody's paying a lot of attention. But then it's like one of the most horrible things ever happens to me, you know. So then I'm trying to navigate through that. And, and then I ended up moving down to Texas. I worked down there for a while because I was like, 
screw New York. I'm going to New York, you know. I had brain cancer. My wife died, you know. But when I was down in Texas, like, I do this very dark, detailed style. That's not big in Texas. Like, simple, traditional, large, colorful walk-in tattoos are much bigger than they are in Texas I moved to. So, you know, I was doing a lot of traveling. I was like, I'll just move back to New York then. So, but I was like, I don't want to move to New York City. Maybe I'll move to Philadelphia. So I was there for three years, then moved to New York. So I bounced all around. And eventually, one of the guys I worked with suggested opening a tattoo shop. And I was like, you know, well, I, I like being an artist. I don't like being like a shop owner. But he's like, no, no, we're going to do it like this. So so it, it ended up happening. And we ended up opening a shop. And it's a good thing. And the thing is, I always wanted to be a writer, and I started doing a lot of that. But being a shop owner allows me to tattoo a little bit less so I can work on writing and art more. So before I was doing that, and I was, like, cramming everything in and stressing myself out. So, I, I'm, you know, that gives me a little more leeway. Yeah. So where are you all located with your shop? In Long Beach, New York. It's uh, about 35 minutes out of the city. Okay. Like out of Manhattan. Are y'all are y'all pretty busy to where it's kind of like no walk-ins, or do y'all do like those late night walk-ins? We don't do the late night walk-ins necessarily. Um, we have some people there that are all booked up, uh, and we have some people there that will take walk-ins. But it's not like you just walk in the door and we just do it. It's more like you call, we see if we have an availability, we go, "What do you want?" And what a lot of people want now, even when they say it's a small tattoo. It's actually a very detailed several-hour tattoo. Um, it's like, so, you know, we need to plan, like, three or four hours to do that tattoo. And then, you know, like, we need another half hour for setup. And then, you know, we, we probably need an hour, another hour to draw the whole piece. So, it, you know, people have gotten away from that. Like, when I started tattooing um, in, like, 98, like, I remember a lot of people got, like, little tiny tattoos, like the, the little NY symbol or, like, a little affinity sign or a little cancer ribbon. Now people want, like, half sleeves or they want giant yeah. pieces. You know, it's like, you know, and they, they want a giant piece. And, like, to them, their vision of a large piece is that whole sleeve. So they go, oh, I just want a small piece. It would be, like, that big. It's like a super realistic portrait. You know, so – Considering that what the way the market is now, you know, a lot of people is better if we go, what do you want? And we plan it out. You know, if they just want something like a little bit of lettering or something like that, we can often handle that within a day or two. So we have different artists in the studio, like people who are more booked up on like big pieces and people who do more of the walk-ins. Yeah. So How many artists do you have all, there? Well, we have, let's see, five full-time artists. Um, two of them are booked up all the time. Um, another one is booked up like three months. Another and another one is booked up only like two weeks. And one does a lot of walk-ins has much more availability. And we have one printer, so we'll see how that goes. You know, um, but so far she's doing great. And then we have two part-time artists. Um, one guy that we see about like every month. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you come in more, but you know, that's what he wants. So I'm like, and then we have need another to make guy. some cash every now and then. I guess. And like, uh, I knew his wife had surgery. So all of a sudden we saw him at a shop, like, you know, more often, like two or three times a week, you know, because he probably had to make money for his wife's surgery. But, you know, 
it's kind of flaky. I, I don't know. Um, and then we have another guy, you know, he works at two places. He works for us and he works at a place called Amity Irons. So it was about two days with us and about two or three days with them. Yeah, I love how much tattoos have finally, I don't want to say come to the mainstream because, man, tattoos have always been a huge thing, but they're more widely accepted now. Oh, and yeah. I think that's yeah. probably what drives this whole, like, you know, so many people that are not 100% familiar with the tattoo industry themselves, and they just know, you know, obviously a whole arm or a half arm is a lot. You know, if you're getting a half sleeve, like, it, everyone knows that's going to take a while. But you're right. I mean, even when I first started getting tattoos and, and I would go in and I'm like, oh, I want to get this this whole shoulder done, you know, but nothing, not even really a half sleeve. It's just one piece on it. And it's like, well, that takes a while. There's a lot of letters and lines and detail and stuff that it takes to put into that. And uh, it, it really opened my eyes. And I think a lot of new people who couldn't have tattoos before or at the very least couldn't have anything visible at all are now being accepted in some big positions like police departments, fire departments, and right. those kind of places that are saying, hey, no, you can have tattoos visible. You know, uh, well, we're not going to sit there and govern that. I think people are recognizing this more, um, your ability and, and not just the way you look. And that's kind of like an old school, you know, very conservative attitude. Like, you got to look a certain way. It's like, no, you don't. Do you do the job well? Like, I mean, you yep. get, take a deep dive into that with, like, racism and all sorts of stuff. But it's like, you know, I think evaluate the person by how well they do the job, not on whether or not they have crazy hair or, like, darker skin or, or you know, more tattoos or whatever. Who really cares? Yeah. And in this day and age with tattoos, um, like, the younger the, the people are, the more accepting they are. I think they say like under 36, 80% of the population tattooed. Yeah. I mean, you're exactly right. You know, it's growing up, you had that old school mentality of if you want to be in business, then you better not have any tattoos. And if you do have a tattoo, it better not be visible. Something that, you know, you wouldn't even have your bosses find out about. You have to look the part to play the part. And I think it goes even beyond just things like tattoos or hair or piercings or the obvious, man. I think that we're finding out in society that you don't have to necessarily do certain things or look certain ways to get jobs done. You know, like if we look at how we're on this podcast together right now through a video conferencing uh, software, you know, and it's like how many people thought that another huge software like Zoom was going to bring so many business people together that they were going to be able to operate entire organizations virtually. You know, it was always that mentality I've heard of, you know, if, if selling starts at eight, you got to be there at seven. If it starts yeah. at seven, you got to be there at six. Like you got to wake up and be in the office from very early until very late. If you're going to be successful in business, you got to be away from your family, all of these things. And we have this mentality shift similar to the tattoo stuff of like, no, it's, it's now becoming something you can, you can have. It's, we're seeing it all over the place where it's like, no, you don't have to be at work every single day in order to work and do, as long as your work is done, that's all that matters. And it's like, I don't care right. what you look like. As long as your work is done, that's all that matters. And I'm glad that we're finally having that shift. Yeah. I think COVID opened a lot of people's eyes too, because like, you know, even if they don't come in, if they can get the job done, that's what's really important. Like, I can yep. understand, like, don't look like a slob if you're, like, public relations for a company. But, like, sure. you know, 
you know, that that kind of goes across the board. That doesn't it doesn't matter your race or gender or anything like that. Just don't look like a slob, you know. But it, you know, as far as like you know, people expressing the personalities without looking like a slob, you know, it, I I think the world's got a lot more accepting and like that COVID kind of forced people to just like we need something done well. Can you do it well? Yeah, absolutely. So you're an artist outside of, of, you know, traditional drawing art, you know, I consider writing to be an art and you're an author. Isn't that right? Yeah, that's correct. I have three books out now. The new, the newest one is called the end of the world and I'm doing a compilation. And fortunately, because I do a lot of art for authors I do magazine covers and book covers and so on, I was going to put out an anthology with a bunch of horror authors putting in a short story. I said, I will trade you the original drawing I did for one of your other stories in exchange for a short story. Like, okay. So I actually managed to get some big name authors and um, I have an anthology called The Never Dead and hopefully it'll be out within a few months and like everybody that contributed, I'm doing like a little illustration for each of the stories and I did, I painted the book cover and uh, I think it'll be a great thing. So are these nonfiction or fiction stories? They're all fiction. They're they're all like yeah. kind of like I wanted like sci-fi horror, but I was like, what I really like is like the Twilight Zone, the Outer Limits, that kind of like suspenseful, good storytelling, not just like shot gag in your face, you know? Right. And then on top of that, you offer services for authors. So you can do all of the artwork and stuff that's involved with launching a book. Yeah, it, it, I'm actually already involved in that. Um, I can send you a bunch of the illustrations if you like, but I've already done like seven of the illustrations for the book, but every short story is going to have an illustration. Because like if you see those old books from like the 40s and they have that little illustration, like it takes up like a quarter of one page or whatever, that's what I'm doing. I'm doing like little illustrations to get their story. That's awesome. Thank so... You. If we're looking to connect with you to learn more about what you do, um, to book a session for the tattoo shop, or if I've got a uh, a book that's coming out and I want to get some artwork done from you or whatever the case may be, what's the best way to start getting in touch with you? Well, I have a website where you can actually see where everything is. It's danhink.com. And then my email is real easy. It's danhink at gmail.com. Nice. Are you on social media at all? I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm I'm even on TikTok. I do little dances with the tutu. But I'm there. <laughs> I'm on Twitter. Yeah, I, I'm on you. a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I hate to admit how addicted I am to TikTok these days. <laughs> but there's some really cool creative stuff out there. Yeah, no, there is, and it's always funny when like comedians or people that don't even realize they're comedians do something funny. You know, and you get in like that, you fall down that rabbit hole where you're like, oh, look at this one. Oh, look at this one. And you're like, yep. oh, shit, it's been like two hours. <laughs> yeah, and then I send my uh, friend, you know, over 200 requests to view videos on TikTok <laughs> because he doesn't look at them for a week straight. And then he gets mad at me for it because that's all I do is just sit there and spam him and my wife with yeah, that, uh, TikTok videos. I do that to my girlfriend, the same thing. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> you should see this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so do you do any of the like behind the scenes tattoo stuff on TikTok? I know that's pretty big. 
I do. Well, I, I've started to do this thing because people seem to really like it where I'll do a time lapse. So when I'm yeah. working on a piece, I'll do a time lapse. And then I try to like show the piece finished beforehand and then time lapse me working on it then after. So people see what they're looking at. Like first it draws them in, then they see the process and then they see it done. So I feel like that's a good way to get it across and, uh, you know, make it visible to people. Um, I used to post, like, I do a lot of stuff that's in progress, so I used to post that, but I stopped doing that because a lot of people don't understand and think, oh, that's the finished tattoo. Yep. And I'm like, no, that's not the finished tattoo. That's why it doesn't look amazing yet, but trust me, it will, you know, but rather than tell people and, like, people have short attention spans, I'd rather just show it. Well, here's the thing. It doesn't matter how many times you tell them, there's still going to be a group out there that's too dumb to understand what you're trying to say. I, it's true. I have found that some of the most ignorant people in society have shown themselves online recently, man, with some of the things that they say. And, and you're right. It's like, hey, here's a tattoo in progress. And, well, you're the worst tattoo artist in the world. I'd never get shit done by you. That looks like shit. And it's like, bro, he's two hours into his 10-hour piece. It looks pretty good. <laughs> we made a lot of progress. Yeah, what do you yeah. mean? Yeah. It's insane. I definitely, there's some thing. I need to get a cover up on my right arm. I need to get my back piece finished out, um, which it's just a work in progress. I had some basic outlining done by somebody and then never got it finished. So I just need to find an artist that'll just kind of make it look good. So I don't know, man. I love traveling to New York. I've only been able to go once, but it was an amazing experience. So I definitely need to get up there and, and come see you and get some work done by you, man. Yeah, you can shoot me an email, shoot me a picture of what you have, and I'll tell you what works and what doesn't. Um, one thing I, I want to mention real quick is, like, all those TV tattoo shows, a lot yeah. of them, like, you got to take them with a grain of salt. Cause that stuff is not reality. And I'll even tell you, like, a, a real quick story. So um, if you ever saw um, New York Inc. Uh, with Megan Massacre on it, um, she's a little goth-looking girl, and uh, she did one of those uh, – cover-up shows like uh, America's Works Tattoos or Tattoo Nightmares or whatever, but they yeah. don't have a studio. So the studio I was working at, she also used to work at it. She asked if she could come back and film an episode. And we said, yeah, no problem. So when she came in, I remember a guy flew in from California to get tattooed by her. And he comes in the front door, and the the camera crew was filming him. And then they said, wait, can you re-enter? So they made him re-enter like three times. And they got the right angle. Then he talks to her and tells her what he has and what he wants. And they go, okay, well, can you use these words to describe it? And can you talk about it this way? So in that one, they shot several times. Then I remember it was a two-day cover-up. And they filmed the entire first day, no commentary. The second day, they did like 15 minutes ago, you know, all right, this is her 10 minutes of tattoo. And then they pull back. And then they waited like, you know, five minutes or whatever. They go, all right, this is our three hours of the tattoo. And then they pull back. And then they waited like uh, another half hour. They go, all right, this is our six hours of the tattoo. So I remember we were all laughing in the studio. And the yeah. director leans over and he goes, there's no such a thing as reality TV. So that's what it is. It's, it's very hit or miss, heavily edited. You know, they do a lot that I don't like on Instagram. Like I wrote a whole article about that for uh, one of the tattoo magazines about why Ink Master sucks. And, you know, like, they're, they're, yeah. you, you don't put a time limit on tattoo. You know, they, they judge, you know, regional preferences. I'll have another region judge, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a nightmare. 
Yeah. And I think there's a lot of things um, involving more than just the tattoo studios, but um, I think there are a lot of things about tattoo artists, tattoo studios that people just don't understand, you know, like what makes a good artist, why things are so expensive, how you can get what you pay for. Right. Uh, and you can also regret, you know, and I'm one of those people that you can regret <laughs> what you didn't we, pay we for. All, we all do. We we all have tattoos, especially tattoo artists. They're the worst. They have like crappy tattoos. They got back when they're like, oh, yeah, tattoos are cool. I'll get into that. And then they got covered in like all this bullshit. And they're like, now that I've seen really good artists, why do yeah. I have this? Absolutely. Yeah, man. I'll tell you, you know, part of my thing too is I want to spend way more money than I'm willing to spend on the <laughs> level of work that I want to get. But I see these guys come in the firehouse all the time where I work and, you know, they get their half sleeve done or they're finishing up a full sleeve. And I'm like, I'm so jealous. I want that so bad. But, you know, it's just it takes a lot of money and a lot of time too. people don't realize how much time you're going to spend in a chair or uh, laying down, getting work done. Well, one thing I do tell people is like, don't go by price. Like, like I figure I'm pretty nice with my customers. So I'm like, hey, what are you guys looking to spend? You know, and I go over all that stuff. But the people who like bargain, they're never going to get a good tattoo, you know. Yeah. And, and and like once you bargain, you piss the guy off. So do you really want the guy angry working on you? <laughs> no, not at all. I've been there. <laughs> he wasn't angry, but he, I could tell he just wasn't happy with having to do the work. And I'm like, I, I wish you would have just refused and told me no, right. you know, and just had me walk out the door. And he had a real heavy hand after that. I don't know if he normally did, but. Uh, that tattoo definitely hurt. It, luckily, it was on my calf, so it was a nice meaty portion where yeah, I could take it. No problem. Turn the power up and hung the needle out a, bit, a little bit further. <laughs> like when I tattoo people, not anymore because I mostly get my own customers now. But I tattoo people on the arm, and when you wrap it up, they're a total asshole. I make sure that I wrapped all the tape right through the armpit hair. <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> So then when they hear all this, oh, man, you know what really hurt? I'm like, I'll bet I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's killer, man. So danhink.com, D-A-N-H-E-N-K. We'll have all that stuff linked, of course, in our show notes. That way our awesome. listener right now can go check everything out. But, man, I just want to get your your piece of advice or your phrase, your saying, uh, someone who can go through losing their wife in a car accident brain cancer, being stabbed, being homeless, um, working dead-end jobs that you absolutely hate until you can finally get to a point where you have some financial freedom and some freedom of choice as far as the work you're doing. What is it that kept you going all that time? How did you stay so motivated to do for yourself? Well, it's one, you have to have belief in yourself. Like you like not necessarily that one thing is going to succeed, but like you go, I'm capable of something, you know? So like the whole time I was going, Hey, I think I'm a good artist. I think I'm a good writer. I'm like, you know, I just need to get that across. So, I'll, you know, I need to make that profitable. So like I, I went through, I was trying to find a way to make art profitable. So like I did arm covers, I did t-shirt covers, did whatever. And I was trying to figure out what I could, pay my rent with and still do. So that's what you need to do. You need to find something you need to keep working at and you need to not give up. You know, there are a lot of people that they give up. They're like, Oh, I could have been a contender. 
It's like, yeah, but you didn't try. You know, like if you look at everybody that's like a big actor now, like like Brad Pitt, like slept in his car. He was like homeless. He was like, so you, you look at all these people. They went through like trying times to get there. It's not like it was a smooth ride. So that's what I say. Just don't give up. I think it's a lot like the news, right? What sells, what's sexy, what gets clicks, um, what gets attention, especially in an online world is that finished product of the tattoo. It is the success. It is the end of a journey that gets all of the attention. And it's like nobody is an overnight success. We're just paying attention to the end of what they were doing. So basically, it's like instead of saying an overnight success, it's really an overnight success in 15 years or 20 years. Like it took a lot of time to build it. But it seems like we're just not caring enough about the process and journey it took to get there because it is people struggling. You know, it is people who are on the edge of a bed contemplating blowing their brains out. It is people who are contemplating quitting and just going home and just being done and not worrying about losing the house and losing the car. It is people who are just willing to divorce and not worry about keeping the family together for the kids uh, or working to have something and make it something like it's we don't focus on those little things that it took years and years and years to get to the really big, wonderful, cool thing we're seeing. You know, or in your case, like the TikTok videos, we're not focusing on the six or eight hours of work that it took and the progress from a drawing to a couple of lines on skin to some more detail to some shading to full color. We just want to see that full color image and say, this is an awesome tattoo that he was able to do. We don't want to see all the work that was involved behind it because it's not as sexy as that finished product to some people. And I think we need to celebrate the shit that we all go through a little bit more knowing that in the end, the result is going to be that beautiful finished piece. Well, I, I give one more piece of advice too, which is like put yourself out there as much as possible. Like I remember when, you know, like by now, like it seems like everybody in the tattoo industry knows me, but I remember when I was starting out, I was like that magazine could have four readers. You know, if they ask me for an interview, I'm like, dude, I'd love to do it. So just put yourself, like, it could be the crappiest magazine, it could be whatever, just do it, you know, to get yourself out there. So, like, I, I figure if you keep pushing and you keep pushing any social media, it could be a website-only interview, whatever, get yourself out there, and eventually it's going to add up. It's marketing. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Dan, thank you for being on the show today and spending your time with me and opening up and telling us all of that story. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Small Business Origins. I can't thank you enough for being here every single week when we have a new episode featuring a new entrepreneur and a new company. Make sure that you head over to www.smallbusinessorigin.com. Check out the website. Send in your questions, your icebreaker questions, questions for our guests comments for the show, things that you want to see. And of course, make sure as always that you are liking our content on social media, rating us and reviewing us wherever you listen to your podcast. Those ratings and reviews are so important, but that's it for us. It was another week, another great episode with an awesome guest. And as always stay beefy, my friends. Thanks for listening to another episode of Small Business Origins. I love an origin story. If you like what you just heard, leave us a review, subscribe, 
and share with a friend. You guys, check this out. They're going to love it. You're going to love it. 